If you don't have your Bibles, uh, we have them in the seatbacks in front of you, and also all these scriptures are going to be up on the screen. So in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, it says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." So the book of Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul, and he was writing this book to them to address a specific thing that was beginning to happen in the church. And so there was a really a heresy beginning to brew where the church in Colossus didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They believed that he was like a high prophet, but they didn't actually believe that he was actually God's own son. And so Paul, being Paul, wants to address this and nip this in the bud as quickly as possible. And so this is going to be a a passage of scripture where Paul is trying to get the church in Colossae to see that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the son of God. And so in verse 15, it says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now, that word image in the Greek is actually the word icon, and it's where we get the English word icon. Um, and basically, it, it is like a, a, an image or a likeness is what that word means, uh, sort of like a statue, you know, like uh, Michelangelo would take and see a person and he would carve them out and it would be like such a good likeness of the original. And that is what this word means, this image of the invisible God. You see, nobody's ever seen God. He, he's invisible. The closest I think you can come in scripture, uh, maybe Moses. But even then, it says that God's holiness is too much for Moses. And so God has to pick Moses up, put him in the cleft of a rock. And he only gets to see as, as God walks by and gets to see his glory. And so um, what Paul's trying to say here is that while nobody has seen God, Jesus Christ is actually the image of that invisible God. Yeah, I know what you're saying, Pastor Jeremy, like, well, wait a second, didn't God create all of us in his image? Yes, he did. But the reality is, when Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, we became but like a a marred image of the creator. That sin kind of ruined who our image is, and so we're not a perfect image of God. But Jesus Christ is. He is the perfect likeness and the image of the invisible God. And so I think it's important for us as we begin to try to understand what this image of God is, we need to look at, well, who is God? And what are his attributes that Jesus is the perfect image of? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a quick kind of surface study into the attributes of God. Now, there are tons of them. I picked seven that we're going to go through. 
And so I'm going to get with our communications director this week, and I'm going to have her post the article that I used to put all of this together, because I want to highly encourage you, each one of these attributes, I could stop right now, and we could just pick one attribute and probably spend the next three months just going through that one. Because there is, when we talk about God's eternality, there's 50 scriptures that we could go through in exegete to learn more and more about who God is. And so in this article that we'll post, not only does it show all the scriptures that support that attribute of God, there's even a little message part of it so you can go deeper in your study of who our God is that we worship week after week. And so Jody, can we put up that first attribute? So here's the first attribute of God that I would like you guys to know about. God is infinite. He is beyond measure, and he is not bound by space and time. Now, sometimes that's a hard one to try to wrap our minds around. We have a a hard time um, struggling with infinity. Can you imagine being out of space and time, what that would feel like? Because I know for many of us, when we get to this portion of the service where we jump into the message, that 30 minutes is the longest hour of your life. You know, like we are bound by time and we're stuck by time. Many of us, we count down the days until this, that, or the other, and it's finite. At some point, God will call us home and that time will be over. But our God, the God that we serve, is infinite. He is outside of all time and space. Jody, can we get that scripture? I'm going to read it from in here. In Isaiah 40, uh, verse 12 through 15, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did it consult and whom made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust of the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like a fine dust. And so our God is infinite. Let's go with the next one, Jody. So the next attribute of God is God is eternal. And again, that's a tough one for us with our finite uh, minds to understand. But God is eternal. He literally has no beginning and he has no end. So before time even began, God was there. And when time ends and Jesus comes back to reign as the king, God will still be there. He is eternal. Let's go with the verse, Jody. In Revelations 1.8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and who is to come, the Almighty. And notice the, the quotation marks. That's God himself speaking. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is just the beginning and the end. And so our God is infinite, and he is eternal. Next. God is immutable. And now this is a big word. But immutable, it just means he is unchanging in the perfection of his character. Our God never changes. We know so many people that sometimes maybe they get married, and all of a sudden the guy you knew beforehand is not the guy you knew at the, you know, 10 years into the marriage, right? That's not our God. Our God that we serve right now is exactly the same God that Moses worshiped, that Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, that God, he has never changed. He's exactly the same. There have been heresies over the years, such as Marcionism, that would believe that maybe the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament, but it's false. 
our God. And he says it himself. Jody, give us the verse. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. And again, notice the quotation marks. That is God speaking. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you old children of Jacob are not consumed. And so our God is immutable. Next. God is omnipresent. He is not limited by space or time. So try to wrap your brains around this right now with me. I, and some of this is conjecture, but I think some of this may actually be happening right now. I would have to be willing to bet that right now, somewhere in China, there is a group of people praying and trying to have church right now, but are scared that the government's going to come in and shut it down. I don't know for a fact that's happening, but it, there's probably a high possibility that that is happening right now. I also believe at this exact same moment, there are some Christians in the Middle East who are being persecuted and believe that their lives could be on the line. And so right now in this moment, they are crying out to God. And here's the, the, the incredibly cool thing. God is there with those people right now that are potentially praying in China. He is there right now with those people in the Middle East that are praying. And he is right now in this very room with us all at the same time. That's how big and how powerful our God, I mean, do you guys not get goosebumps when you start thinking about that? That is how big our God is. Can we get that verse, Jody? Psalm 139, seven through 10. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. I love that. Even if I'm in the heavens or if I'm in Sheol, which is it's a Hebrew word for the underworld, it says, God, you are there. And so our God is omnipresent. Let's go with the next one. Number five. God is omniscient. And omniscience means that God, he knows all things past, present, and future. So in this moment right now, not only does God remember every single thing that each and every one of us has done, he also knows everything that is happening in this moment, and he knows every choice, every situation, everything that's going to happen in your future, and not just for one of us, for every single one of us. And so this is why it's so important for us that as we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, we allow it to change us and to grow us. Because think about it. This is a God that does not forget anything and knows everything. And one day, each and every one of us are going to have to stand before him and be held accountable for what we did on this earth. But scripture says this, that if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you are saved, when you stand before God, he says that your sins will be thrown as far as the east is from the West. Amen. But our God knows all. He is omniscient. Can we get that scripture, Jody? Hebrews 4.13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And let's get the next attribute. Number six, God is omnipotent. He can do all things consistent with his holy nature and his will. So God um, can do all things. God is all powerful, but God would never do anything that would be contrary to who his nature is and what his will is. So God would never pit his 
eternality up against his infinity. He couldn't do those things because then he wouldn't be consistent with his holy nature and his will. So here's a way that I've heard that kind of helped me to kind of wrap my mind a little bit about God's omnipotence and how he's all powerful, but yet he, he stays consistent with his will. Um, you guys remember, I know all of us have done it, being on the playground as a kid going, I wonder, could God like, could he make a rock big enough that he couldn't pick up? You know, like those, those weird questions we would always ask in our mind and things like that. I don't know what the answer to that is. Yes, no, I'm sure he could, and then go, ah, I'm going to pick it up now. I don't exactly know the answer to that, but here's what I know. Is that, okay, to, to understand this idea of omnipotence. So God made married people, right? And a married person is a man and a woman who have come together and made vows to God that they would stay together forever, and it says in Scripture that the two shall become one. That is a married person. And then you have a bachelor, and a bachelor is somebody who has not taken that vow. So you've got married person and a bachelor, two very different things. What God couldn't do is make a married bachelor. You know what I'm saying? Like you couldn't be married and be a bachelor at the same time. Those would be two inconsistent things. Now, let's be honest, there are some men in this room that are trying to live like married bachelors, but that's another sermon for another day, right? Or look at it this way. God created circles and God created squares, and they're very different, but God couldn't create a, a circled square. Does that make sense? So God stays consistent. He can do all things that are consistent with his nature and his will. Can we get that uh, scripture, Jody? Second Chronicles 26 says, And said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations in your hand, our power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. So our God is omnipotent. And lastly, this is a word that we, we, throw, a lot, excuse me, we throw around a lot in the church, but... God is sovereign. And I think for me, this is one of the ones that brings me the most comfort. Like it's all, some of it brings me goosebumps. Some of me makes me want to drop to my knees because of the glory that I see as I understand who God is. But this one, it brings me a lot of comfort. And God being sovereign is this, is that he has the right and power to rule over all things. He is not obligated to anyone outside himself, but acts always according to his own purpose and his will. So basically, God has the right to do whatever God wants to do. Our choices, the things that, that we do, that doesn't influence God. God rules out of the perfection of his nature, his character, and his will. It has nothing to do with us. And so many times I have found where I have just needed to rest in God's sovereignty. Because those times when, when life's gotten really hard for you, or maybe you've, you've lost a loved one, or you've lost your job, or... The season we've been in here at Pathway Church, what we rest in is that God is sovereign and he has some sort of a purpose and a will that pleases him. And that's why he's asking us to endure these things. And so when you look at the entire council of scripture, here's what we know. The promises of God are this. It says that to, to taste and to see that God is good. And also it says in scripture, God says, well, if I'm for you, who can be against you? So when we know that God is for us and God says to taste and see that I am good, I believe those things and so I rest in his sovereignty. He has the right to rule as he sees fit. And I know he can do a better job than I can, so I'm just gonna trust him. And so our God is sovereign. Can I get that uh, last scripture, Jody? 
2 Timothy uh, 1, 8 and 9 says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Jesus Christ before the ages began. And so our God is infinite. He is eternal. He is immutable. He is omnipresent. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, and he is sovereign. That is the God that we were singing about this morning, the king of heaven. That is who we serve and we have submitted our lives to. And the reality is that Jesus Christ has all of those same attributes. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so for the first time, man was able to see a a, a picture, an example of what God looked like through the embodiment of Jesus Christ because he was fully God and he was fully man. And so um, Paul is trying to get the Colossians to see here, the God that you love, that you serve, that is also Jesus Christ and he is the son of God. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so I love what Paul's doing here. First off, he's getting the the Colossians to see, look, he is the son of God. He's the image of the invisible God. And then he takes them straight to creation. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you're trying to tell somebody about Jesus and trying to explain why you believe in a God, is there another place that you can go that's more powerful than creation? I mean, when somebody looks and goes, how can you see that sun right now and just believe that, oh, that just happened? And so for me, what I've done, I like to study a lot of the science behind it because to this point, scientists can't disprove that there was a God. And it's the funniest thing. Many high-level scientists and philosophers, they would actually come down and say, you know, it's all just so perfect. There had to be some sort of an intelligent designer, but we just don't know who or what that is. And we're all just going, are you serious right now? Here, let me show you. You know, I just want to give them the Bible and go, that's God. And so check this out. Did you know this? Did you know that our son is 864,000 miles in diameter. So if you got in a car and you were just to drive straight through the sun, you would have to drive 864,000 miles to get from one end to the other. Did you know that our sun is 100 times larger than planet Earth? So you could take 1.3 million planets the size of Earth and you could fit them within our sun. Think about that. Try to wrap your mind around all of that. And the reality is our sun is actually kind of on the smaller side in the universe. There are stars such as, and I I forgot to look it up, but Betelgeuse, Betelgeese, I don't know exactly how you say it, but it's 100 times larger than our sun. How do you wrap your mind around those types of things? So check this out. Did you know that if in the universe the force of gravity changed Um, that those forces were to change by one part in one times 10 to the 40th power, stars like our sun couldn't exist. So here's what this means. If it was off by, again, one times 10 to the 40th power, if the forces of gravity in the universe were to go off, suns wouldn't exist. Without the sun, our orbit around the sun would be off kilter. 
life wouldn't be able to be sustained. Jody, can you put up that slide so they can see what the number is? Oh, I must have missed one. Sorry. You see that number? For those of you that remember your scientific notation, 1 times 10 to the 40th power is 1 with 40 zeros behind it. So if the force of gravity changed it all by that much, life as we know it, gone. And here is what Paul was saying and why I'm trying to kind of sit here for a second. The same God that created all of that, Jesus Christ was there. The scripture says that creation was done through him and it was done for him, for Jesus Christ. And the reality is the, the, the savior of the world that was powerful enough to create a son that large died on a cross for you and for you and for you. Verse 18 and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so I love, again, where, where Paul is going as he's trying to convince uh, the Colossians of their error. He first gets them to see, you're wrong. Jesus actually is the Son of God. And then he points them to creation to say that Jesus Christ was with God in the beginning, and he created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on to tell them, and that same God that created all that is the head of the church. You know, church, that's, that's why I've never fretted over where we're going right now as a church. Because Jesus Christ is the head. And here's one thing many of you wouldn't know, but I got to share and open the door a little bit for you guys is this. Your pastors and your elders, every single moment they get are on their knees praying for Pathway Church and asking God, be the head of this church. And that's why I believe we've seen over 30 people get saved in the middle of our mess and 14 people get baptized last weekend. That's why God is still choosing to move here is because we are believing and we are asking God, be the head of this church. Jesus, take your rightful place. And so here, here's a challenge that I might have for many of you that are in here now. And maybe you're still even maybe just concerned, where are we going? And I don't understand. What would it look like? If the body of believers at Pathway Church dropped to our knees every moment we had and begged Jesus Christ to take the throne of this church, what if a year from now, not a single one of us had any material left on the knees of our pants? Because we were seeking after God's heart and asking Jesus to reign supreme, Indian River County would not be able to handle the glory of God that would be coming from this place. Because Jesus Christ, the God that created this universe, the one that is the image of God, wants to reign supreme over Pathway Church. And so church, can we just maybe start praying together and just believing that Christ would take over? And he, he is. Again, salvations, baptisms. It's unbelievable that God is doing those things. But our God is unbelievable. Remember, we just looked at all his attributes that we can hardly wrap our mind around. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so Jesus, being the perfect image of God, the very fullness of God himself rested on Jesus. 
And through Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, he now has the power to bring peace. And in verse 21, it says this, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And so Jesus, who is the perfect, perfect image of God, who is the creator of the universe, who is the head of the church, this is why we celebrate Christmas, because Jesus Christ came. And he died on a cross. And that perfect sacrifice of his blood was, was sufficient for God so that you, he could bring peace between us. Because here's the reality. Because of our sin, we're separated from God, right? And when we're separated from God, we are the enemy of God. Do you want to be anybody enemies with somebody who can create a planet the size of Jupiter? I don't want to be his enemy because he'd take me out like that. But here's, here's the point. If you don't surrender your life to Christ, if you don't believe Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are one day going to stand before an omniscient God and you are going to be his enemy and you are going to spend your eternity in hell. But Christ came so we could have hope. And when we place our trust and our belief in him, we will stand before a holy God and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we will spend eternity praising the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is what Christmas is about. It has nothing to do with Christmas trees and presents and the family getting together. Those are good things and God can be honored and glorified through those things. But we have got to remember the reason for this season is remembering the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I sometimes wonder what that transaction may have looked like in heaven. I just wonder, was Jesus sitting up there and just looking down at the plight of creation and just going, Father, is it time yet? And God's saying, no, not yet. No, not yet. And then one day when God said, go, I can just see Jesus running to get down here because he knew he could bring peace on earth. And then finally in verse 23, it says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so Jesus, our Paul wants to make sure that we understand that our, our salvation uh, and, and our sanctification process, it's not a one-time thing. I think sometimes one of the, the greatest heresies that the church in the West has ever brought forth is this idea of if I just raise my hand in church and I, I prayed a prayer and now I'm saved and then I go on living life the way that I wanted to, that's sending people to hell if you ask me because it's not true. You can't just pray a prayer. Paul is saying here that once you are saved, your life will be changed forever and you can't go back to the same lifestyle, not because of rules and policies, but because when you come into the power and the presence of Jesus Christ, you don't want to be the same. All of a sudden, when you, when you surrender your life and you confess your sins, you'll be sitting there and watching TV and maybe watching a show you've watched your whole life. And then all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I shouldn't be watching this. That's Christ. That is you being transformed into his image. And so Paul is saying, uh, once you've experienced the power and the presence of Christ and you have been transformed, follow it out until the end. 
One of the greatest uh, examples of somebody who crossed the finish line with their chest out and their arms back was a gentleman by the name of Wally Gossett. Um, Wally was one of our elders uh, years ago, and uh, he was my life group leader when I was in high school. So I first met Wally when I was in ninth grade, and uh, one of the most influential people God ever put in my life. Um, Wally was a pastor, but never called to be a paid pastor. You know what I mean? You've never known people like that. And so the first person to ever challenge me, I was in ninth grade. We were at the old church on 27th, and me and guys like Chris Davis and Ryan Testa were running around in there and kicking the balls around and just raising cane. And Wally, I remember he walked in, took one look, walked out, and he told us, he looked up and went, okay, Lord, what you got me into? <laughs> About six months later, Wally pulled me aside, put his finger in my face, and he said, Jeremy, you are a naturally born leader, but your cross is always going to be, which way are you going to lead? And so uh, part of my story is I walked away from the Lord when I was in college, uh, went to school to be a pastor, uh, walked away working in a factory, <laughs> and um, uh, eventually God, uh, I re reconciled my life back to him, and it was with Wally. Um, we were at Sonny's having lunch, and I just said, God, I just, I feel like God's calling me back to him. And so we went back to the middle school room, and I know I've shared this before, we jumped on our knees and we prayed. And so after some time had gone by, I had just gotten accepted to go back to Warner University to get my degree and just knew God was calling me to be a full-time vocational pastor. And so I was going to the hospital to visit my grandma and uh, she had really severe COPD and was having an episode. And while I was there, I saw John McDivitt, one of the pastors at First Church. And he said, hey, I'm going up to see Wally because at this point in life, uh, Wally was suffering pretty bad from cancer. He said, do you want to go up and visit with me? And it had been a while since I had seen Wally. And so I go up uh, upstairs with him. And so we sit down, and I'm holding Wally's hand, and it was really it was hard to see him like that, you know. I know many of us have experienced the tragedy that can be cancer. And so we talked, and I got to share with him that I, I just the day before I had been accepted back to Warner University, and I was going to go be a pastor, and he just sobbed. And uh, we just, I said, Wally, can I pray for you as I was getting ready to leave? And he said, no, sir, I'll pray for you. And he prayed one of those beautiful prayers. And the people were coming in, and he was praying for them, and he loved Jesus. And I, and I said, why can't I pray for you? He goes, because I know where I'm going. And so I walked out of the room. Miss Linda walked out, and she's just crying. And I was like, Miss Linda, what's wrong? Literally moments before I had walked in that room, the doctors had told him they weren't going to treat him anymore. And that man wouldn't let me pray for him. He was the embodiment of Jesus Christ. He believed so much in the hope of the gospel that he, he didn't want that prayer. He wanted to love on and minister to others in his final days. That is what Christ is asking us to do. That's why Paul is going to all these lengths for us to see who Jesus is, that he was part of creation. He's the image of God. He's the head of the church. Because when you get to see those things and, and God begins to, to change your heart from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh and you put your, 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 your trust and your faith in him and you are changed, you've got hope. Because no matter what the world tries to throw at you, no matter how hard life tries to get, one day you are gonna stand before God and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And you will spend eternity with the Father. So it's like sitting there going, okay, devil, do your, do your worst. Because I'm not a child of here. I'm a child of heaven. And there is nothing that could happen on this earth that should ever trump your eternity with the heavenly father. Can we stand? Church, 
Christmas mean to you right now? Are you focused on the presents? Are you focused on the, the family? Are you focused on all of the things that, that go with Christmas? Or are you focused on the hope that Jesus Christ brought the minute he came to this earth? When that little baby was born over 2,000 years ago, he changed the world forever. And so I'm wondering right now, is there anybody here today that hasn't put their hope yet in Jesus Christ? The reality is today could be your day of salvation. And it's simple. You put your faith in him. You trust him. And like we've said in the past, then this process begins to happen. You put your faith in him and your heart begins to change. And then you're going to, God is going to have this moment where you come into the contact of your sins and you realize how, how much of a dirty and a, and a sinner that you are and how you're, um, you, you don't even deserve to stand in the light of a holy God. But then he grants forgiveness for all of them. And then you will see that your life begins to change and you become sanctified and you're going to get into his word and you're going to notice that day after day as you're in the word, it's just never enough. And as you begin to do those things, no matter what the world tries to throw at you, you will be able to stand steadfast like Paul is asking us to do. And so can we just take a moment as we sing this song, can we just search our hearts? Because right now, if God is trying to speak to you, would you listen? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to, to transform your heart and your lives right now? And maybe there's even some of us in the room right now who we, we, we believe and we profess Jesus. And, and so we're walking this path. But sometimes when, when things get hard and we get stressed, maybe we, we kind of start to turn away a little bit. That's says repent. You can turn back right now. Remember, we learned a couple of weeks ago that when we repent, times of refreshing can come in our way. Wouldn't it be nice to go into Christmas with times of refreshing coming your way? And so let's just take these next few moments and can we just see what the Spirit of God might be doing?
trust what you say that you're good that your love is great I'm broken inside I give you my that maybe there's somebody here today that put their faith in Jesus Christ. Just wondering if maybe if that's you, would you maybe just come forward and come stand up here? And there's two reasons for that, really, for me. Um, number one is this, is that Jesus Christ knew every single one of your sins and he died for them in a very public setting. And so I think it's okay to come forward and to maybe honor back what God already did for you. And number two, if you did, it says in scripture that the heavens rejoice over one sinner who repents. And so we have a gift for you. The Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. That's why God gave us a body. And so we have a Bible for you and we have some information to kind of help you on your journey. And so I just wonder, is there anyone here right now that put their hope and their faith in Jesus? Would you just come stand with me? was you come up after service that's okay too <laughs> did you guys know there's 115,000 people in Indian River County who claim they don't go to church I'm just gonna ask you, are you asking your friends to come because if we're already saved these messages are good but there's some people that need to hear these messages so there's 115,000 people that are waiting for you to tell them about Jesus and the hope that we have at Christmas. Amen? So I might challenge you, go out this week and just tell people, not your job to change their hearts. That's God's job. Your job is to share the information. Can we pray?
God, I just thank you so much for Pathway Church. I thank you for every person that is in this room right now. God, give them a boldness to go out into Indian River County and share the true hope of Christmas and to share about Jesus Christ who changed the world forever. And so, God, we love you. Thank you for what you were doing at Pathway Church. We are praying that you would continue to move, that we would see salvations, that we would see baptisms. We would see lives who are radically changed by the gospel of your son. And so, God, we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you, church.